a really sad story. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. A sad story about what has happened to this uh, first family between these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Um, For quite a while, um, moving forward, our study in the book of Genesis, there's going to be some... It's going to be some sad things we're going to read. Um, we'll need to we'll need to buckle up through Genesis chapter 11. Um, really, through Genesis chapter 11, um, what we're going to get uh, from from Moses here is a dark look at sin. We're going to see a dark look at sin, and we're going to see how uh, sin spreads throughout God's world. Um, we're going to read about the nature of sin. Um, hopefully, come to understand the, the consequences of sin. And uh, the misery, the misery that ultimately results from sin. But it begins to take off right here, very early in Genesis chapter 4, between these two brothers, uh, Cain and Abel. Cain, who you'll see some similarities between this account and the account of Adam and Eve's sin, and how uh, Cain sins and how God deals with them and how Cain deals with God. Uh, but you'll see that, that Cain is in a far, far worse place. Uh, that Cain does not does not confess. Uh, that, that, that Cain does not um, acknowledge his sin. He he doesn't accept the consequences, the punishment that God brings his way. Um, the way he dialogues with God is is, is even worse than his father Adam did. Uh, what you'll find is that there is a when the New Testament looks at Genesis chapter four, which we'll get into, it, it says that there is a a way of Cain, and there is a way of Abel. So you see in Cain a way of living your life, and you see in Abel a way of living your life. Uh, John will reflect back and, and say, be like Abel and do not be like Cain. What we see with Cain is that as sin begins to spread, it rules over him. And it, it, it completely undoes him and has its way with him. Aside from Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, where we read a, a, a verse about, about Noah, uh, it's going to be dark through chapter 11. Sin is spreading, sin is spreading, sin is spreading. Now that said, though, um, also, like we've read, we've read about God's creation and God's covenant. We've read about man's call and man's fall while we see the spread of sin we're also going to read though about the spread of god's grace okay where sin abounds grace abounds we're going to see the spread of sin but we're going to see the the spread of god's grace we're going to see the spread of god we're going to see the spread of his righteousness and and his goodness so when you read about sin um, in the bible or when you experience sin in your own life, or when you see sin manifest itself in the lives of others, right? The, the horror and the pain that results from sin that we're all familiar with, whether we're reading about it in here or experiencing it in our own life or seeing it take place across the globe. It is sin, right, that threatens to, to overcome, to thwart God's plan. Okay, sin is what threatens to undo what it is that God is seeking to do. And you will read at times, for example, like in Genesis chapter 4, and it will read like and it will sound like sin is winning. Satan is winning. Okay, Abel, the one who will see is righteous, is losing and Cain is winning. Sin is spreading and it is thwarting God's plan. But what we'll see over and over and over again is is what 
really is, is triumphing is God's faithfulness and God's greatness and God's goodness. Because while sin is spreading, and as we know has spread, God's grace, God's power, God's might is also spreading and, and has spread. So the, uh, the place we're going to end up in today's sermon is this is the way Cain lives. This is the way Abel lives. Be like Abel. Don't be like Cain. I think you'll see with me that, that even churches are filled with Cain's and Abel's. We're filled with Cain's and Abel's. And some have their worship rejected by God. And some have their worship accepted by God. And we need to understand what the differences are. So that we would be those whose worship is accepted. So that we would be those whose, whose way goes well. So that we would be those with whom God is, is pleased. So in order to do that, we've got to take a close look at God's word. So let's pray. And then we'll get into Genesis chapter 4. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the word you've given us. God, thank you for not leaving us to stumble around in the dark, but giving us a light to light our path, and that light is your word. God, many of us either are now or, or we were uh, living in a way that we thought we, we knew the path and we thought we understood the path and um, thought we had a handle on this life and the life after and how to live and how to get there. And then, Father, we discovered that we were in darkness. So thank you for giving us your word to, to light up the path, to show us what pleases you, what doesn't please you, to show us the way of life where, in which it will go well for us and the way of life in which it will not go well for us. Thank you for opening our eyes to see that and shining your word so brightly. We ask you to do that again, even as we read your word today. God, I ask that through the preaching of your word, you would shine a bright light before us. God, I pray that there would be uh, a light going off in people's hearts and minds in this room this morning. I pray that people, myself included, would see dangers that we didn't see before, uh, see obstacles that we didn't see before, see grace where we didn't see it before and and hope and and guidance and and help and rails and stairs and rocks that on this path that we didn't see before god and we pray that we would see that as we come to understand what your word teaches and lord i pray that your holy spirit would come and do a work in us and among us so that we wouldn't only understand your word but we would embrace your word and believe your word and apply your word so a whole lot, God, as usual, that we're hoping for. But we have every reason to be hopeful because we are praying all of this in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, please open up to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, some of you like to listen. There is something good that comes from reading God's Word as well. So... Uh, just want to encourage you in that. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one around you. Uh, pick one up. 
and we're going to read through Genesis chapter 4. We do this typically, um, which means we'll go a couple verses at a time. I'll read a couple verses, stop, we'll work through it, understand what it says, and begin to apply it to our hearts. So let's get these first two verses down. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. Adam had such intimate knowledge of his wife. Right. This is the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. Okay. No one knows a husband, hopefully, like his wife. And no one knows a wife like her husband. And her body belongs to him and his body belongs to her. And they know each other like they know no one else on this planet. Adam and Eve shared that intimacy and because of that intimacy and because of that sexual union they shared, God blesses them by giving them a child. Now, here's what we know um, so far about about the, the birth of Cain. We know not just by experience, but what we read in Genesis chapter three, that this was a painful ordeal for Eve. We know this was a result of the curse that God said that that, that children are going to be born, but they are going to be born and they're going to be raised painfully. Hey, giving birth to children, carrying children will be painful, especially for moms. Raising children will be painful, especially for moms. And Eve experiences it here for the, for the first time. But as well, this isn't just a painful, right? This isn't just a painful happening. This is joyful, as most moms would tell you. One of the most painful, excruciating things ever endured. One of the most wonderful things ever endured. Or maybe even so far as to say, the most painful thing ever. The most wonderful thing ever. Cannot describe it. God brings this curse, remember, to remind us, among other things, that all things precious are costly. All things precious are costly. And a child is not born into this world without a significant cost to his mom. So here she is, and she gives birth to this uh, child, and, and she, she says something. When she, she names him and says something. And when she says this, she, she cries out in faith. So this is a, a God-trusting, um, God-loving woman. At this time, when she gives birth to the son, we know this because of what she says. She looks down at this, this little baby boy and she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So what does she do? She acknowledges God's role in this. She acknowledges what all of Scripture teaches, and that is this, something we could use a good dose of in our culture. Children are from God. We don't have children apart from God. The Bible says children are a reward from him. Remember Jacob and Esau, they get separated 
for many years. They come back together. Both of their families have grown. They meet each other on the field. And Esau looks and sees all of these children back behind Jacob. And he says, hey, who are all these kids? And Jacob's response is, these are the children the Lord God has given me. So what Eve does and what Jacob does and what the Bible does is it it takes childbirth and it takes children and says this isn't just something natural going on. This is something spiritual going on. Okay, there are natural physical things. We don't need, you know, a junior high lesson here, but there are natural physical things we know that must lead up to children being born. But there is also something supernatural that must take place before a child is born. And that is the the miracle of conception that God oversees. And so there were, while there are natural things that must take place in order for children to be born, there is something supernatural that must take place in order for a child to be born. And that is God opening the womb of a woman and giving the gift of children. So children are a reward from God. It is ultimately God's hand that is behind the gift of children. Eve recognizes that. And she looks down at her baby boy and she says, this is a gift given to me by the Lord. Matthew Henry says it doubles and sanctifies our comfort in children when we see them coming to us from the hand of God. It doubles our comfort and it doubles our joy when we recognize that children are a gift from God. It doubles it. I mean, babies are cute and cuddly, and we we love them, and we just inherently know that this is something very special. But our, our joy and our comfort in children, it's doubled when we acknowledge that this child is a gift from God. Isn't that true with any possessions that you might have? You probably have possessions, things that are special to you. And some of those things are special to you. And and you acquired them yourself. You worked hard for them. You bought them. You ensured that that you would would have that possession. But then you have other things, don't you? Where there's a double joy you take in them. Because when you look at them, you remember the hand from which they came. Right? You remember who they came from. And it was someone special. And someone you loved. And when you look at whatever this is, you're reminded of their love for you and their affection for you. And you're not just enjoying what it is you've been given, right? You're enjoying something more when you think like that. And so it doubles our comfort and joy in children when we remember, and we must remember, that children are a reward from God, from God's hand to us. Eve recognizes this. She's got a good theology of children. Cain and Abel. Cain's name means to get. Abel's name means a mere breath. Bible tells us Cain grew up to be a worker of the ground. He's a farmer. Abel grows up and he's a shepherd. Two of the earliest professions. One's a shepherd taking care of flocks and animals. And the other Cain is is working the ground. So remember what's happened so far as we get to this point in this little family. Remember, God created Adam and Eve. God told them not to disobey God, not to go their own way. If they go their own way, it will not go well for them. They will surely die. Adam and Eve 
went their own way, and Adam and Eve did not die. They disobeyed God, went their own way. God brought consequences, but he did not bring ultimate consequences. God was gracious, loving, and kind to them. Instead, we read that God made a promise to them. God made a promise that a rescuer would be born of the woman. That sin has threatened to thwart God's plan. And if God doesn't do something else, it is ruined. But God does something else. And God makes the promise. And God promises that through the seed of this woman, there will come offspring from your wife, Adam. There will come offspring. And through that offspring, there will be a rescuer. And he will save you from your sin. And that's why Adam, when he was given the opportunity by God to name his wife, he named her Eve. Faithfully named her Eve, which means life giver. He named her life giver because he was acknowledging that she was the one through whom the promised salvation would come. Now, I say all that so that you can imagine what was going through Adam and Eve's mind as they held this baby boy in their arms. What was God's promise? God's promise was that through her offspring, a rescuer would come. And God did not say, and it's going to be thousands and thousands of years. Right? We read in the Old Testament that they are, they're basically on pins and needles, God's people are, forever. And they are described as a longing people, as a waiting people. What are they longing for? What are they waiting for? They're waiting for... Genesis 3:15 the promised offspring to come who would rescue them Adam and Eve don't know reasonably thinking wouldn't expect how long that would take place what do you think they thought when they looked down at this baby boy would they not be thinking at least perhaps this is the rescuer This is the promised child that God said he would bring. He promised offspring. Here is offspring. Maybe this is the rescuer. Maybe this is the deliverer. Can you imagine how high their hopes were for Cain? All parents know that you have high hopes for your children. High hopes for your children. As soon as your children are born, every parent knows that they they look down at their child in infancy in their arms and thought about how their life was going to go and prayed for how their life was going to go and hoped for how their life was going to go. And no mother would ever expect And no mother would ever hope that her baby boy would turn out like Cain. Yet here is Eve looking at this precious little baby boy with no idea who he would grow up to become. Imagine her hopes. Imagine her expectations. Matthew Henry has a good commentary here. The less we expect from creatures, the more tolerable will disappointment be. 
when you love that quote. You're, you're like me, and you're, you're a pessimist. And you're like, I'm going to write that down and put it on my fridge this afternoon. I've got a basis for expecting so little from everybody. <laughs> now, there's some wisdom there. There's some wisdom there. Hey, when it comes to God, infinitely high expectations. When it comes to man, not infinitely high expectations. Now, some of you just go way too far and you just expect the worst from everybody. Everybody's wicked. Everybody's evil. Everybody's got an agenda. You're looking at them cross, looking at them funny, not going to let you anywhere. I mean, you know where that can go. But there is a wisdom. There is wisdom in not having infinitely high expectations of other people. But when it comes to your kids and it comes to your children, the hopes you have, you, you cannot hold these hopes back. You cannot hold these expectations back. Every one of my children, I have hopes for them. And there's one hope that is greater than any other hope. And, and every mom and dad who loves Jesus knows what that hope is. And that hope is just that, that they will be faithful. That's it. I mean, that trumps all other hopes, all other expectations for our children, that they will be faithful. We say and think things like, no matter what happens, no matter what you take, no matter what you give, if they would just be faithful and know you and love you, that is my highest hope for my children. I cannot even bear the thought. Bear the thought of one of my children not being faithful. It is sinfully, I think, painful for me to even go there in my mind. High hopes. Do you think Eve was any different? Do you think Eve possibly had even higher hopes and expectations that she held in her arms the promised offspring who would come and rescue them and yet she had no idea what her baby boy would grow up to become? This is a sad story. Let's take the next few verses, 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So here we have Cain and Abel worshiping God. Evidently, God had given Adam some sort of instruction regarding the, the proper place and the proper form and time for worship. And that included bringing an offering and that included bringing sacrifice. And so Adam has raised his family. He's taught his children. This is when we're to worship the Lord and this is how we're to worship the Lord. And, and when we do gather together to worship the Lord, we should bring an offering to him. We still do that today. You come to worship and you bring things to God, don't you? You bring your voices to God and you bring your ears to God. And some of you bring a gift to God. And some of you bring, you bring your, your heart to God. And some of you bring your time to God and your energy to God. Okay, we're coming and we're worshiping God and we're offering things to him. You're offering your time. You're offering your talent. You're offering your treasure, as the saying goes. And so Cain and Abel, instructed by Adam, here they are. And they are coming and worshiping God and they're bringing their offering to him. And this is what we learn. 
that when they bring their offerings to God, God accepts one of the offerings and God rejects the other offering. God accepts the worship of one man, but God rejects the worship of another man. And apparently it's, it's evident. It's evident to them that one of the offerings has been accepted and one of them has been rejected. Cain knows it and Abel knows it. Maybe it was like when Elijah on Mount Carmel, when he offered an altar to the Lord. And do you remember how God accepted the offering? He was in this competition with these men who are worshiping Baal and these false gods. And God rejected their worship, but he accepted Elijah's worship. And it was evident to everyone that he accepted his worship because God sent fire down from heaven and burned up the offering. Maybe that's what God does here. We don't know. But somehow, visibly, God makes it clear that your worship, I'm accepting. And your worship, I'm rejecting. We want to find out why. Right? Why was one form of worship rejected and why was the other accepted? Why was one offering rejected and why was the other accepted? And we want to answer that question, right? Because we want our worship to be accepted by God. We want to be accepted by God. We do not want to be rejected by God. We want to get to God. We don't want to be moved away from God. We want to please God. We don't want to not please God. So here's a perfect example. Two brothers come in, they make an offering, they worship God, one's is accepted and the other is rejected. Now, some think that God wrongly think that God is just being capricious. That God is just he's just being emotional here. There's no real good reason for what he's doing. His decision is completely arbitrary because we're not given an explicit reason. God does not say because I accepted this offering because, and I rejected this offering because. And so many people will just assume that, that God is making an arbitrary decision. And that is a wrong conclusion. That's a wrong conclusion because we've got to read the rest of our Bible. And when we read the rest of our Bible, we come to know and understand that God never makes a decision arbitrarily. In other words, God always has reasons, good reasons for the decisions he makes. But here's the deal. God doesn't always tell us what those reasons are. Isn't just that a truth that many of us need to accept? That God will do, but God will not always explain. It's part of being God. You just you just don't have to. And so here we have an example where there's not an explicit reason given by God, but that does not make his decision arbitrary. So we want to dig. Does scripture tell us more? Can we find out what was the difference here? Some commentators think that it's the absence of blood. Abel comes before God when he makes his offering. There is the shedding of blood. He was a shepherd, so he sacrifices an animal to God. That's his offering. He sacrifices an animal. And Cain did not sacrifice an animal. He just brought some of the portions of his, of his crops. And we know already the significance of blood. God is teaching Adam and Eve that 
blood being shed is essential for my rescue plan. Blood must be shed. We see that in how the, the entrance back to paradise, right? There's flaming swords. The way back is going to be a violent way back. We see that in God's promise. It's going to, your rescue is going to come through crushing and, and striking. And, and when God makes a provision for them in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, he makes provision for them and he clothes them and he takes care of them. But what does he have to do before that? He has the, the first two animal sacrifices. God has to slay two animals in order to use the hides to clothe the man and the woman. And then we learn later in Hebrews 9.22 that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Sin is a serious deal. A price must be paid. And the price that must be paid is blood. And so some would say that that's why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Because Abel's involved blood. However, that conclusion has to be inferred. That's the, the Bible does not explicitly say that. That might be true. That might be true. And it is a good explanation using good theology and doctrine. But the Bible doesn't explicitly say that. And when I read the text, this is what I'm going to propose. When I read the text, I think they both make good offerings. I don't think there's a problem with their offerings. I think that the way the Bible describes Cain making his offering and Abel making his offering and saying he also made an offering. In other words, they were like one another. One brought an offering that was in accordance with with his way of life. And the other brought an offering that was in accordance with his way of life. One was a shepherd. And so bringing an animal would be costly to him. One was a farmer. So bringing from his crops would be costly to him. It seems to me that they both make good offerings to God. So there's got to be something else or in addition to that. And so we go to the New Testament. Three or four times the New Testament talks about Genesis chapter 4 and Cain and Abel. Let me read two of the verses. Hebrews 11, 4 and 1 John 3, 11 through 12. When I read these verses, listen. It is the New Testament giving us helpful commentary to understand the difference between the worship of Cain and Abel. Does it give us insight into a difference between them? Hebrews eleven four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. If you listen carefully to that verse, there's some things that we already knew and then there's some things that we learned about Genesis 4, 1 through 16. We already knew that Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering and we already knew that Abel's offering was accepted. We knew that. But we didn't know something else this verse tells us. And that was those first two very important words. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. What was the difference between Cain and Abel according to Hebrews 11? The difference was faith. One was faithful, the other was not. 1 John 3:11 through 12, the other New Testament verse says, "For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
So the New Testament tells us that Abel was a righteous man. That Abel was a righteous man and that he came in faith when he brought his offering to God. And Cain's heart was not right with the Lord. So in other words, this is an internal issue, not an external issue. In other words, Cain and Abel are sitting next to each other in the worship service, both doing things that are seemingly acceptable. But God does not look at the outward appearance of a man. God looks at the heart. I would propose that the issue here is that that God's problem is not with the offering. God's problem is with the man. God's problem is not with the offering. God's problem is with the man. God's problem is not with the worship as much as his problem is with the worshiper. And this must be our concern. Right here we go, because we just naturally focus on the external and not the internal, the physical, not the spiritual. What is seen, not what is not seen. Cain and Abel walk into a church service together and they do the same things in the church service and they both worship God externally, seen by others. But one, the worship is rejected. The other, the worship is accepted. The reason is that one comes loving and trusting and believing God by faith. And the other comes not trusting, loving, and believing God. Proverbs twenty one twenty seven says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent. Sacrifice is a good thing in your Bible. God's problem is not with the sacrifice. Two people can bring a sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of the wicked that is an abomination. Are you, are you, are you hearing this? Are you, are you understanding what this is saying? Is this alarming for us? Should it be alarming for us? Because it means that outwardly, You can have two worshipers singing the same songs, going through the same communion line, sitting in the same seat, attending regularly, serving in ministries, giving money to the church, helping the poor, loving one another. You can you can have these outward things in place. But God looks down and is rejecting the worship of one of those worshipers. Because there's a problem in the heart. This was the difference between Cain and Abel. There was a problem in the heart. Verse 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. How patient is God? Cain is angry with God. That's who Cain is shaking his fist at. I did the same thing my brother did. 
This was a costly offering I brought to you. And you've embarrassed me in front of my family. You reject my offering, but you accept his offering. And he's angry with God. What does God do? God comes and deals patiently with him. And God compels him, tries to compel him to do better. Reasons with him. God basically says to him, stop whining about the situation and do something about it. That's how he comes to Cain. Why is your face so downcast? Do well. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Change. Do things differently. Stop crying about it. If you, you, you said this to people, they said this to you. Stop whining about it. Stop crying about it. That's not going to get you anywhere. Do something about it. This is the, the instruction that God gives to Cain. He tells him, do well. Now, he's not telling him, do well, because you will be justified by your works. And I'm a God who's after good deeds, and those who do good deeds will win their way to heaven. That's not what he's saying. When God says, do well, God means, love me. Trust me. Believe me. Obey me. Be faithful. But then he gives him a severe warning. He's saying, be careful. He says, sin is crouching at your door. He's telling Cain, Cain, I know what's going on in your mind right now. I know what you're thinking. And I know what you're plotting. And I know the anger that you're feeling. And God tells him, you're playing with fire. Watch out. You may be doing what you think, and this is true for us today. You may be doing what you think is just an innocent entertaining of sin. But he says sin is like a wild animal. You can't let this thing out of its cage and play with it. Its desire is to rule over you and it will have you. John Owen said about sin, sin is like water in a channel. If it once breaks out, it will have its course. James 1, 14 and 15 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God is warning Cain. He's saying, Cain, sin is like a snowball. Okay? It rolls down a hill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And soon you're consumed in an avalanche. Some of you ended up in the darkest places and the doorway into those darkest places seemed so innocent. It did not seem like a big deal. It was just flirting. It was just fantasizing. It was just thinking about how sweet it would be for that person to get what's coming to them. It was just a few words. It was just a drink. And that door, when you open it, it it seemed minimal. 
And here's the trick. It seemed manageable. Seemed manageable. But like John Owen says, when you, and James says, when you do that, it's like putting a hole in the middle of a dam. And once the water starts to trickle through, it's only a matter of time before that whole dam comes down and you're washed away. And God comes and graciously warns Cain and says, Cain, watch out. Friends, you are no match for sin. You are no match for sin. Christ is a match for sin. But you and I are no match for sin. Do not think that you can wrestle and wrangle and manage and contain your sin. You cannot. It will consume you. It will have you. It will chew you up. It will spit you out. We're very needy of God. Verses 8 through 12. The Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. The first thing we read here is the is the murder. Cain murders his brother. This is, as we would call it in our culture, this was murder one. First degree murder, premeditated murder. He talks to his brother. He lures him out to a quiet place, gets him away from witnesses, and he kills him. He's plotted this out, and he kills him. This is not manslaughter. This is not justifiable homicide. This is premeditated murder of his brother. You see that what God said in Genesis chapter 3 is already happening when God said, I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. And what God was saying is that in this world, there's going to be children of God and children of the devil. There's going to be people who love God and honor God and want to do his will. And there's going to be people who love Satan and want to honor Satan and want to do his will. And they don't say that's what they want to do. But if they don't love God, that's who they love. And Cain loved God and wanted to honor God. And Abel did not. And there's strife and enmity between them. The results here in the murder. The murder of Abel. Then God calls him. Does this sound like the account when God came looking for Adam? It's the arraignment, right? God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to evaluate this now. And so he brings Cain before him. But Cain, unlike his father, you see how he sinks deeper than Adam? Cain, unlike his father, totally disregards the merciful pursuit of God. This is God's grace coming to him and beginning dialogue with him as he did with his father, Adam. And this sin was much more severe. And Cain blows him off. He does not respond to this merciful pursuit of God. Matthew Henry says, God knew him to be guilty, yet he asks him that he may draw from him a confession of his crime. For those who would be justified before God must accuse themselves, and the penitent will do so. 
This is the mark of a Christian. This is the mark of someone who loves God. Someone who loves God is willing to accuse themselves. Not trying to get out of everything. Not trying to you know, avoid responsibility. But take responsibility and claim culpability if there's culpability. It's my fault. And to accuse themselves. And those who love God and are penitent, they will do this. And what is God doing? God is giving Cain opportunity. Just like he did with Adam. God could come and rightly accuse. But he doesn't. He's drawing out confession. Of course, unlike Adam, there is no confession. No confession from Cain. And then what we have here is the first human lie and the first human question. The very first lie and the very first question. I don't know where he is. It's a lie. He murdered him. And he knew where his body lay dead. I don't know where he is. And then he asks a question. You hear the tone of the question. Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me? He's not my responsibility. I think it's helpful here to remember, too, that Abel is not only his brother, Abel is his little brother. And that's that's meaningful. The responsibility of the eldest child, the responsibility of the eldest brother is and should be to protect, to defend. My boys know that there are not many good reasons to fight. We teach them that fighting is a good thing if you're fighting for the right thing. But they know that there is one thing that they have full authorization from dad to fight over. And that's if someone is hurting their little brother. And sometimes they'll be fighting with their little brother. And that's a big deal. Because you're using your strength and your age and your abilities to harm. And you're supposed to protect So it's a big deal. And now there's a baby girl in the picture. Lord have mercy on the man that tries to cross her. This is his little brother. His baby brother. Abel's his baby brother. The resounding answer to am I my brother's keeper is yes. Yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, he is your responsibility. Where is he? What have you done? Ligon Duncan says, Cain, who had been a tiller of the soil, a farmer, is now told that the ground will no longer yield for him because of his sin. Adam had been told that because of his sin, it would be harder to reap benefits from the ground. Now his son Cain told the ground will not yield from you at all. You are to be a nomad for the rest of your life. And once again, we see that sin only brings more misery, misery for the victim's family and even misery for the perpetrator. Does this sin relieve Cain's angst? No, it increases it. And so we see the consequences of sin nursed. This is always the trickery of sin. 
Okay, if you commit this sin, you will feel better. You will be better. You will do better. This is an appropriate way to deal with your emotions right now. And that's always the lie. And we've learned it's a lie because on the other side of it, we learn that there is no peace and there is no satisfaction and there is no lasting contentment that ever results from sin. You think Cain, did he experience any relief after murdering his brother? I'll show you, God. I'll show you, Abel. Embarrass me in front of my family. I brought my worship just like he did. It's not accepted. It's rejected. And what did he do with that anger and that wrath? He tried to satisfy his anger and his wrath by pouring it out on his brother. And he experienced no relief whatsoever. God then brings a sentence to him and passes judgment and gives him this consequence. Whereas he had driven Adam and Eve out of the garden, he drives Cain even farther and the land will be even more resistant to him than it is to his father. Which is a gracious consequence. God is gracious in preserving Cain's life. Genesis 9, 6 should have been his consequence. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Cain should have received the death penalty. God graciously sends him farther out to struggle and to wander. And listen to Cain's response. Verses 13 through 16. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which means wandering, east of Eden. Some think this was God's judgment. Some think it was God's mercy. Some say that this was the most merciful thing that God could do, to put a mark on Cain to be visible to all so that he, his life would be preserved as, as long as possible. And that was God's mercy on an unrepentant sinner. And others say that that is judgment on this unrepentant sinner that he would continue to live this miserable life. Regardless, what's of most importance in our study this morning is the response of Cain to God's merciful and gracious sentence. To whine and to complain that God's consequences were too Great. And we see here the the most significant expression of how hard Cain's heart was. And this is a commentary on how hard the heart is of an unrepentant sinner. Some of you right now are unrepentant sinners. So some of you were unrepentant sinners. 
And the Bible describes an unrepentant sinner as someone whose heart is hard. Your heart, Proverbs 4.23, is the wellspring of life. Mark 7.21, everything comes out of and flows from your heart. Your heart is the core of who you are. And everybody either has a heart that is hardened to God or a heart that is soft to God. That's why we need God to pull in Ezekiel 36, 26 and take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. You want a soft heart. You want a heart that is penetrable. You want a heart that receives God's love and God's affection and God's mercy and God's judgment and God's word and God's salvation and God's rules. You want a heart where those things sink in and then worship and love and affection flows back from God. We don't want to have a heart that is hardened. We don't want a heart that when God speaks and God's word comes to us, it's like bullets off a rock. And we're unmoved in our rebellion. And this is who Cain is. Even after God's lenient consequences, he does not accept them. And he doesn't turn and he doesn't repent and he doesn't thank God. None of this happens. It's like those described in Revelation 16, 10 through 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Listen to this. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. How hard is the human heart? All this pain, all this suffering, turn to God, turn from sin. And in that anguish, no, I will not turn from my sin. I will not repent. I will not stop going my own way. I will not go God's way. And this was the unrepentant state of Cain before God. So let me conclude this and say a couple things that I hope will be helpful in applying what we just read. And to do that, let me read these two verses from the New Testament. How does the New Testament apply the story of Cain and Abel? 1 John three eleven and 12. Let me read it again. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother is righteous. And Jude 11. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Do you hear the New Testament look back at Cain and Abel and say, be like Cain, do not be like Abel. Live in the way of Abel, do not live in the way of Cain. Friends, we most likely have among us in this room today, Cain's and Abel's. And we all came and we all look, we all look the same. I mean, we're all singing the songs and we're all reading the confession when we're asked to and we're, we're closing our eyes during the prayers. 
And we were hopefully pretty good on the way here and we'll be pretty good on the way home, at least as far as people can see us. We might even come up here and take communion. We might even bring a a gift that we're going to put in the offering box. We're going to shake hands. We're going to hug. We're going to talk. We're going to we're going to do all these things and we're going to be up until that point. We're going to be good Cain's and Abel's. But no doubt, even in this room, when we sing those songs. There is an aroma that is rising that is sweet to God. But friends, there is also a stench. Because if we're Cain's and we're Abel's, there is worship that is taking place that is acceptable to God. But there is also worship that is taking place that is not worship and it is being rejected by God. And the difference is regardless of what's going on on the outside, some of us are faithful and some of us are faithless. Some of us are here because you love God and some of you are here to try to get God to love you. And some of you are singing songs so that God will approve of you. And some of you are singing songs because you know God approves of you. And some of you are here as a have to. And some of you are here as a get to. And some of you, your worship is not worship and it's rejected. And some of you, your worship is worship and it's accepted. In a nutshell, this is the difference between Cain and Abel. The way of Cain is a faithless way, but the way of Cain is hard and hopeless. There are two ways to live your life. You can live it in the way of Cain or in the way of Abel. The way of Cain is hard and hopeless. Now contrast that to the way of Abel. The way of Abel is hard and hopeful. Notice the similarity. God forbid that we try to persuade you into being faithful so that your life will not be hard. So you hear Christians who've been Christians for a while laugh when things like that are said. Because whether you're living your life the way of Cain or the way of Abel, that road is tough. And that road has thorns and there are tears on both roads and there is disease on both roads and there is lost and broken relationship on both roads and there is struggle on both roads and there is mud on both roads and there is pitfalls on both roads and there is confusion and frustration and depression and loneliness on both roads and the christian road is not an easy road And there is not a a road that is marked out for you that if you will do this, then you will experience monetary blessing and physical blessing and health and wealth. All of that is a lie. Whether it's Cain's way or Abel's way, it is a hard, hard way. There's no getting out of that hard life. This is the difference. The way of Cain is hopeless and the way of Abel is hopeful. That's the only difference. The way of Cain is hopeless. The way of Abel is hopeful. Donald Gray Barnhouse says this about the way of Cain. The way of Cain is hard. He started with human reason as opposed to divine revelation. He continued in human willfulness instead of divine will. He opposed human pride to divine humility. 
He sank to human hatred instead of rising to divine love. He presented human excuses instead of seeking divine grace. He went into wandering instead of seeking to return. He ended in human loneliness instead of in divine fellowship. To be alone without God is the worst thing that earth can hold. To go thus into eternity is indeed the second death. This is the way of Cain. The way of Cain outwardly looks the same, but everything is done outwardly so that God will accept you. And the way of Abel is doing these things because God accepts you. The worship that is received is the worship that is brought out of love for God and devotion to God. The offering of Cain represents all the beautiful things of this world that God has given to us and which you and I would like to offer back to him. It is possible for us to offer these to God, but only if we have first come to him on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ. If one comes first through Christ and his shed blood, then he can present all the beautiful things he is capable of finding or creating. And God will be pleased by this because the person does not trust these things for salvation, but rather is offering them to God just because he loves him and wants to show affection. This is the difference between Cain and Abel. They brought the same offering. They sat in the same service, but Abel's was brought by faith. It was brought because he loved God. He trusted God. He was thankful to God. Do you worship because you love God? Because you trust God? Because you're thankful to God? There are people who look Christian and people who look religious and people who look spiritual and do all the right things. But they do all the right things for very wrong reasons. And some of you may be doing all the right things, but you're doing all the right things because you think that by doing all the right things, God will love you and accept you and justify you. You think there's something good in you that can attract God. Friends, that is the way of Cain. And it ends in struggle and wandering. And the way of Abel says, I bring these things and I do all these things not to get God to love me, but because God loves me. Which are you? Are you Cain or Abel? Are you thanking God for the things in your life? I mean, really thanking God for the things in your life. Are you really depending on God to do things in your life? Are you really needing God? Are you really dependent on him? Are you looking to Him? Are you enjoying Him? Are you like Abel, bringing your offering by faith? After I pray, you have a couple minutes to, to think about these kinds of questions. And between you and God and in your heart, before Him, to respond. To respond, to accept or reject. We'll give you a couple minutes to do that after I pray. Then we'll have leaders here who'd like to serve you communion. Let's pray. Our great Father in heaven, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, through which we can 
be reconciled to you and have life with you. God, remind those who might be here today who do love you and who do trust you and are are prone to go to dark places and to lose sight of your love for them and your affection for them and remind them now, God, and give them great encouragement and, and give them great courage and give them great strength when they remember your love for them. And for those who are here and who are rebellious and who are running from you and who are wandering from you and for those who who don't know that that is who they are and who are doing right things but doing them for all the wrong reasons I pray that you would convict them now I pray that they would see that love you have for them and that there is nothing not a shred of a thing that they could do to deserve earn or warrant that love that they would accept this love, rejoice in this love, and respond in obedience. Bless the rest of our worship. We pray and hope that it's pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com.